Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 87 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this show. Welcome back to our regular listeners and welcome if this is your first episode. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. My guest this week is Narelle Cook, and she'll be telling us all about her little Frenchie ladybug. But first, in some doggy news... Um, towards the end of last year in August, um, we're going to the US and South Lake Tahoe in California. And Russ, a Pitbull Terrier mix, was with his guardian and they were doing some work there. So they're originally from San Francisco. Uh, what happened was somehow Russ got separated from his guardian's vehicle and couldn't be found in the initial search. Um, What then happened was the call to fires and his guardian had to be evacuated along with all the other people in that area and the residents. Um, Very distraught, they couldn't come back and basically Russ was deemed to be lost. We fast forward four months later and a backcountry skier noticed a dog in the snow, contacted some authorities, a rescue mission was mounted, and in the deep snow, they found Russ under a tree, not in the best condition, but alive, and both Russ and his rescuers were very happy to meet each other. When they brought Russ back, they checked the microchip and got in touch with his guardians in San Francisco who were very happy to come and collect him and all ended well for Russ and family. Staying in the States and if you are a dog owner in New York, Legislation has been passed that stops insurance companies from discriminating on what breed of dog you have. So that's a win for some of the breeds that don't have the best reputation, let's say in the in the media anyway. And now, this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I am here with Narelle Cook. How are you today? I'm good. And hi, Robert. And thanks for having me on your show. It's really exciting. And hey, who doesn't like talking about their dog? Oh, absolutely. And it's my pleasure. Now, I know you're only down the road, but you want to tell people whereabouts in the world are you? I am in uh, the beautiful suburb of Dural, which is northwest of Sydney, about 45 minutes northwest of Sydney in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to ask a little bit later, but what sort of, you're not in the, a normal, say, person's residential home, are you? 
No, and it's funny because I tend to forget how unique my living situation is. Um, so I live on the property of a boarding kennel. So we're on about six acres and there's like the residents and whoever is sort of managing the business sort of resides on that property. So my husband, Glenn, he manages, he's one of the managers of, of the business. So yeah, we live on a boarding kennel. So I've got 50 metres, 100 metres from me. I've got a cattery. I've got the kennels. We, at times of the year, we have hundreds of dogs barking 24-7. But you just, you get used to it. But it's a beautiful property. And for anyone who has been to um, Pet Resorts Australia in Dural, we have just amazing facilities. And I've got my own oval, you know, in my backyard, basically, you know, a private oval when you've got a lot of dogs who doesn't want an oval nice and handy it is yeah so who are we going to talk about today so i have a lot of dogs uh, but today we are going to focus on one of my french bulldogs called ladybug so I, we tend to just call it bug so i'll probably be called <laughs> throughout the show so as per usual i'm going to ask you to take us back in time to just before you and Bug met and tell us about the hows and whys that that happened. So my husband, Glenn, and I, we've always been very much a multi-dog household. So when I met Glenn, at the time he had four Rottweilers and a pug and I had two Dobermans and a cat. So when we came together it was literally like the Brady Bunch (laughs) in the animal version and but we love that like it's a you know it's a lot to manage but for people who have you know the experience of multi-dog households like you just you learn to manage it all and you can't imagine living any other way so at the time um so Ladybug's about five and a half years of age and at the time we had We'd lost a few dogs through, you know, old age and um, an illness. And we had one male Rottweiler called Biff. Uh, We had a young German Shepherd male called Randy. And we had uh, a one-year-old or just over one-year-old male French bulldog called Opie. So three dogs, I don't know. We've got the cat too, Mr Bean. But we just really wanted another indoor, small indoor dog, uh, and as a companion for Opie, so we we thought we'll get a, uh, a female Frenchie, and we were fortunate enough to know someone who bred them in Queensland, and um, so yeah, she said she would love to to give us uh, one of her babies, and so Ladybug was flown down to us at eight weeks of age, and again, I've whenever I've purchased dogs in the past, I've always gone to them, like they've always been local enough that I could drive to see them, so to have. Mm-hmm. To be waiting at an airport for a plane to land and to see, you know, an eight-week-old French bulldog is tiny. Like she was so tiny, which is part of why I called her Ladybug because um, she was like a little bug, but she was female. So I'm like, oh, she's a lady, but, um, but she's a little bug. So uh, Glenn still cringes at the name, but, you know, too bad. <laughs> so, so when we, you know, we opened the crate, once the crate that came off the plane and there's this tiny little black bundle in the middle of this crate. And you always wonder like what the ordeal is like for yeah. a, a to fly interstate, but gee, she took it in a stride. Like she didn't, um, 
she didn't miss a beat in terms of just being her exuberant self from like day one. So that was that was good, yeah. Because you know, development, you worry about things like that. But she was great. So we really just wanted another another dog to love in our family. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that initial opening of the box feeling? Yeah, I mean, you, it's hard to explain, um, but. It is like it's an instant. You just lo- love them and want to protect them, and you want to give them the best life possible. And because she was so small and young and so vulnerable, like it just, I guess it um, draws out those. I'm not maternal at all for human babies. <laughs> I don't have children, but I, I think all of my maternal instincts just sort of went into that crate and ladybug. So, yeah, I'm sorry to my mother that. All of her grandchildren have four legs. <laughs> so, how was the the ride home and the initial couple of weeks? Uh, no problems at all. And Ladybug, she integrated into our family, you know, just so easily. Um, like Biff, luckily for us, Biff, our Rottweiler, was just a gentle giant. I, I don't know he. Might- might have weighed around 55 kilos. He was like a big male and he had a big puffy head. And I think his head was probably three times the size of Ladybug. <laughs> but she would, you know, they would play in the yard together. He would just like lie down and um, let her sort of jump all over him. If he had a stick, he loved to eat sticks. Ladybug would literally be trying to pull the stick out of his mouth. And, again, he was so gentle. We didn't have to worry because um, they just got along so well. And so Ladybug got on well with Opie initially for the first couple of years and then I don't know what changed um hormones or I don't know she just became basically a bitch (laughs) to him Um, and she would start you know she just started attacking him like really full-on attacking him and he's just a sort of that would just sit there and take it so we ended up Um, I mean, this is sort of, I guess, a bit down the track from the drive home, but we ended up separating them. And the good thing about French Bulldogs, you don't need a lot of barriers in place to keep them (laughs) apart. So a couple of baby gates in the house and it's a happy home Mm -hmm. again. But Ladybug, she, I mean, she's just fitted in. You know, she's one of those dogs that just sort of fit into the cat. Mr Bean is a great... um, dog cat. So Mr. Bean doesn't have any issues with the dogs. And with one of our previous French bulldogs, they actually grew up together and slept together and played together. So um, Mr. Bean is quite happy to be around the dogs. And if they push him too much, he'll just, you know, I worry about the dogs losing an eye sort of thing. Um, I'm not worried about Mr. Bean at all. So it's, um, yeah, it's good. And how did she sort of adapt to when you're outside the house and being in proximity to the the kennels and all the other dogs and cats? I guess because all of our dogs are raised, you know, in the environment where they hear, you know, other dogs barking all the time. They hear customers coming and going all the time, like staff are around our house all the time. So they just, you know, they get used to it and Ladybug was no different. Um, she loves to go out. The good thing is there's a lot of smells on the property, so <laughs> I don't really have to walk her down the street to give her that that stimulation and that, 
you know, that exposure to a lot of different smells and sights and sounds because I just have to walk around our property and, you know, she gets all of that. So she loves it. Mm-hmm. She loves she loves having, you know, every month or so we get uh, one week of the NDTF students, which is the National Dog Trainers Federation students, with us for the week doing their practical training. And she's she loves to get out and see them and um, show off, you know, all her training abilities oh, and nice. meet all the – yeah, so it's, it's good. It's a great environment for, for dogs. So the two Frenchies that were inside, were the other dogs inside most of the time or were they mostly – how was that sort of situation? Mm-hmm. When we, when we lived in Melbourne, so we lived in Melbourne most of our lives, um, the Rottweilers, when we had the, all the Rottweilers, <laughs> they were actually inside dogs. Um, so we had like these tumbleweeds of dog hair just <laughs> all over the place all the time. But since we've been in Sydney, the small dogs have sort of been pretty much in, inside dogs Um majority of the time and and the larger dogs, you know, we've got a really good setup here with our yard and we've got some really large undercover dog runs for our own personal use. So the, yeah, the larger dogs have always sort of been permanently outside and we've tried them, you know, over the years we've tried to bring them, let them in for a night and they just don't enjoy it. Like you can see they're not comfortable, like they get hot or they, they really just would prefer to be outside. So we've sort of just kept it that way now and it works it works really well. Nice. So when she was back and, and still in that sort of like young puppy stage, what sort of did she develop a, a, a liking to any particular games and toys, things like that? So Ladybug is one of the highest drive dogs that I've ever owned and I think Glenn might even agree. <laughs> and, he, you know, He's handled some pretty high drive dogs uh, in his time. She is so high drive, but she uh, she loves to play. Her, some of her favourite games are like, you know, tug of war with um, like bite toys, um, things like that. She does a great hold and bark, but she, she just loves, um, yeah, she loves to play. And now at the moment, because she's kept separate from the other dogs, um, for a few reasons, not just because she beats one of them up, but some reasons that we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure, a bit later in the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's great at entertaining herself. So she'll grab a toy, fling it across the room, run after it with such exuberance and joy and, you know, capture it and then throw it again. And sometimes I look at her and I'm like, oh, I feel a bit sad because it's like an only child trying to entertain themselves. But she, she really loves to to play with pretty much anything. Yeah, she's, yeah. I'm guessing there was never any sort of um, puppy separation anxiety issues. No, she's been a great dog. Um, We've got, we've actually got another French bulldog at the um, Pixel, which is the daughter of Opie and Ladybug. And she's a great dog, but she's, you know, she is a dog that if you leave her, she gets a bit whiny and, you know, she doesn't have, you know, full-blown anxiety, but Ladybug is, you know, she loves to be with you. But if you leave her, she's like, okay, I'll go I'll go chill, do my own thing. Um, and then when you come back, she's all excited to see you again. But she doesn't mind being left alone, which is great. Yeah. 
she ever get into things that she shouldn't have gotten into? Okay, so I truly believe that Ladybug was brought into our lives to teach us life lessons and to, <laughs> to challenge us and to teach us patience and perseverance and oh, so many life lessons having Ladybug. So she, because she's so high drive, she's highly destructive and she's very good at, like, when you think about a French bulldog's um, jaw structure, you know, generally they can't be too destructive, not like, you know, a shepherd or something like that. But she has mastered the art of destroying things in record time. <laughs> and she's also, um, from a young pup, she's always just loved to eat random things. So as a puppy, lots of pebbles would come out in her poos. Like, you would just be like, how did that even <laughs> how did she even swallow that? Like, but they would just come out and, you know, she would eat toilet paper and then she'd eat the toilet paper roll. Um, bedding doesn't stand a chance. We've tried every dog bed on the market. I think, um, yes. Yeah, so she is a challenge because she has so much energy. And when that, you know, that frustration builds, which is great, you know, when you're training a dog, you can use that frustration to your advantage. Mm-hmm. But she tends to redirect it onto household items. So we, yeah, it is a, it is. A You've mentioned a couple of things. I was going to wait till later, but I'll ask now. I get everyone to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate. Mm, yeah. So when I, in preparation for today, I was looking through my photo album of Ladybug and it really looked like, just this chronological diary of destruction and um, trauma because whenever she destroys something, like I take a photo so I can show Glenn this is what Ladybug just did. Um, So I have it all on record. But to sort of take you through, she's only five and a half, but her life, and this is why I said I think she was brought into our lives to to teach us life lessons because when she was one year of age, um, you know, one day we could see that she was off her food. So whenever Ladybug goes off her food, that's a major red flag mm-hmm. for us. We know something seriously wrong. And, you know, she was showing typical signs of pain. She was very withdrawn. She was trying to hide away. And then, you know, she started um, that trembling. So we took her to the vet, couldn't see our regular vet. The vet we saw said, oh, she's probably just nauseous. I'll give her an antiemetic and, you know, go home. Within a few hours, we could see that she was getting much worse and went back to the vet, managed to see our regular vet, and she did an X-ray and said, look, there's definitely something in her intestines. Uh, I can't tell what it is, but it's pretty big and, you know, she's she'll probably need surgery. She said, unfortunately, well, this is 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and they're at closing. Mm. She said, I can't do it. You better go to the animal emergency hospital. But also, again, everything always happens out of hours when things go wrong with our dog. So we ended up going to the animal referral hospital and they just wanted to monitor her for the first two or three days to see if whatever it was would just sort of pass through her. But then they realised it was sort of stuck at the junction between her small and large intestine and then they're worried about necrosis and sepsis. So they said, all right, well, let's go in and pull it out. So after the surgery... What I couldn't even believe that she could swallow this. Um, 
you know the trampoline beds and they've got like a plastic mesh material that's like pulled over the frame. Yeah. So it's got that sort of holy look to it, um, but it's plastic, like a very pliable plastic. And then when when it's sort of pulled over the frame, it's sort of attached underneath with like the excess materials attached underneath. So we didn't realise because we looked everywhere around the house for what she could have eaten. So what she had done is under her bed, she had eaten all the excess material, all that plastic material from her bed. (laughs) And it had, I can't even, how do I describe the size of it? Um, It was a massive wad. Like it might have been about 20 centimetres long, but it was such a thick, like, diameter. Like, seriously, I don't know how she swallowed it. I don't know how it even got through her stomach. It was massive. So yeah, the vet, little dog. The surgeons kept it to prove to us, like, that this is actually sort of what she ingested because um, I wouldn't have believed the size of it if I didn't see it myself. So that was at one year of age. She recovered from that. Then in terms of things that she ate, only um, last year, yeah, middle of last year, again, she went off her food, she was vomiting, like, and this is at 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning, (laughs) and I rang the vet and they're like, oh, just fast her and watch her for 24 hours. But, you know, we could see by Monday the next day she was worse, so it went to the vet. She said, oh, you know, let's just monitor her. We insisted on x-rays and she's like, "Mm, there's definitely something there. We can't figure out what it is. (laughs) And so, again, we insisted that whatever it is, you know, it looked sharp. Like it was, we were really concerned because it looked really sharp. And we said, just do the surgery. Like we don't want to risk it. Just go in, get it out. And so they did. And what they removed, again, if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. Two or three months ago, Ladybug had um, was playing with some of Glenn's sandals. <laughs> so, and she'd torn off a little bit, but we didn't really think much of it. Like we didn't really pay attention. So we threw the sandals out because she'd sort of destroyed them. So when they opened her up, there was actually, and the sandals were a hard plastic. So she, again, I don't know how she swallowed it, but there was literally whole side panels of hard plastic from sandals mm. and the vet had said the ed- the ends of the plastic were like, you know, you could cut yourself with it. Like you could literally cut your own skin with not too much force. So she didn't know how she didn't actually perforate her stomach, her esophagus, her intestines, um, ingesting it. So there were several pieces of sandal, plastic sandal, and there was a Purina, we had a Purina dog bed. And again, it was months ago that she had tried to attack it and we didn't think anything of it. We just sort of either throw them out or sort of patch them up. But the whole, um, the handle, the Velcro handle, she'd eaten it off. So when the vet pulled it out, it actually you could read quite clearly uh, <laughs> Purina Pro, I think it was. Um, so this is some of the random, this is like, that's probably the most, the sandals and the, the dog bed material. Mm. Is I can't believe my dog <laughs> ate that. I mean, you know, you get dogs that eat poo or you get dogs that eat stones. Like that's in grass, that's quite common. But yeah, anything is fair game. Yeah. When it comes to 
bug. Like I said with the size before, when you think of uh, like balls of stuff that accumulate, but then you think, hang on, well, the way sometimes smaller dogs or smaller animals eat things like, like ribbon, but just eat a mm. long length of it and then it just all you know, makes it a you know, big lump of stuff and then obstructs things. Well, the thing is, because she's so high dry and she's so stoic, even with abdominal palpation, because, you know, the vets kept always checking to see if they could feel anything. I mean, it must have hurt. There was so much material in her stomach. But to have someone poking and prodding and for her to be like, whatever, um, you know, tells you something about Ladybug in itself. So mm -hmm. that was a pretty surgery um, that she had to go through. In terms of other challenges that Bug has put us through. Um, so she had a surgery at one year of age. Then when she was between two and three, we thought, oh, we'll, we'll mate her with Opie and we'll have a litter of Frenchies. So we did that. And, again, I'm, I've never been involved in breeding dogs up close and personal. So Glenn's done that in the past with Rottweilers. So it was a whole new experience for me. And being a human naturopath and nutritionist, I did – I was all excited to do it all right and I did all this preconception care to make sure that, you know, the two of them were as healthy as possible, their diets were as healthy as possible. I was supplementing them to make sure that the egg and the sperm was as healthy as possible to, like, maximise fertility outcomes like I would with my human clients. Um, and I think it worked because Ladybug ended up having eight healthy pups. Mm -hmm. She ended up needing to have a C-section because the first pup in the birth canal was like just jumbo. He was like twice the size of all the other pups and all the other pups were a healthy size. So she, yeah, she had to go through that, um, that experience. But oh my was, goodness. Was that at home? Uh, she went into the initial labour at home, but mm -hmm. once we realised that it wasn't progressing, we sort of, again, on a Sunday, <laughs> rang our vet and said, um, I think she needs to come in for an emergency C-section. So we paid for that. Um, but hats off to people who breed puppies because it's such, I don't think people realise how much work is involved and how much stress. Well, maybe I was more stressed because it was my first litter, but it's a lot of work. And, you know, for the first week, we didn't know what sort of mother Ladybug would be. So we were quite paranoid about whether she was going to, kill the puppies or roll onto the, you know, smother the puppies, things mm -hmm. like that. So Glenn and I were on pretty much shifts, 24-hour shifts. So Glenn would do like the night shift up to about, you know, 3 a.m. He'd be regularly checking on them. Then he'd go to bed and then I'm an early bird, so I'd get up at like 3 or 4 and then I'd take over checking on them. And this was around the clock and eventually we put the whole whelping box in our bedroom um, just to make it easier. So we could just sort of roll over and shine the torch down and make sure that everything was how it should be. So that was a lot. And even Ladybug, you know, with eight puppies, she needed to produce a lot of milk and to produce a lot of milk because, you know, we wanted to minimise having to hand feed the pups as much as possible. But to produce adequate milk, you need to feed a lot of calories. So Ladybug needed close to 3,000 calories a day to sort of support eight puppies and to put that into perspective like an average adult woman of 60 to 70 kilos will only eat 
you know, 2,000, 2,500 calories a day. So a 13 kilo French bulldog to be consuming nearly 3,000 calories a day just blew my mind. But I, you know, I literally did all the math. (laughs) I was, uh, so what that meant was we needed to feed her like every three or four hours, we need to be making sure she was getting another meal. And that meant through the night as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of, a lot involved. And we had planned on, having a second litter with Ladybug at some point down the track, something got in the way of that, which I'd love to talk to you about as well. But when we originally planned to have another litter, Glenn and I looked at our calendars for like the 18 months sort of ahead and neither of us could find like a two, two-month window where we could just be home and commit to Ladybug, you know, work commitments, travel commitments, all of that sort of stuff. So I think if, you know, for people who are breeding dogs, you really do need to be just breeding dogs because life, you know, makes life makes yeah, it really challenging. I applaud the, the the forethought and and the planning because a lot of people, even even just even getting a dog, they don't even think about how much time that they need to put into to things and having one dog and then multiple dog and then doing a whole lot of other things with it. So like, hats off to people that, like yourself that think, hang on, what is this actually going to do to my life if we change whatever mm. X? I was, I was yeah. going to ask. So that, um, sorry. Oh, no. Yeah, I just was agreeing with you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, um, do you notice much of a change in behaviour when Bug became a mum? She... I mean, like I said, she was an amazing mum. Like she was so good at caring for those pups. I think she, she, I was going to say she came a, bit, a little bit softer, but she's maybe that's reverted back to that high manic drive again now. But, um, but I think fundamentally, no, she probably just, I think, you know, still the same bug. I don't think it really changed her other than I think she would have, Oh, this sounds very anthropomorphic, but I think she would have liked another litter or maybe I just would like another litter. But, um, but yeah, I don't – she she did it well, but I don't think it really changed her um, for better or worse. Did any of her pups inherit her high drive? Yes, apparently. Um, <laughs> I mean, we did lots of socialisation with the pups, you know, before they left us, but we have had feedback particularly in the first 12 months, you know, a lot of new puppy owners are still, you know, communicating with you. They've sort of dropped off now. So we, like I said, we kept one pup, um, a female pixel, which we considered breeding with, but we decided not to. So we had her desexed. Um, but she's really high drive, but she's a bit more nervy high drive. Bugs more of just that confident, you know, this is me and, get out of my way sort of mm-hmm. try whereas pixel comes from a, a more nervous fear anxiety based position um but yeah some of the, the puppy owners gave feedback that um the, the dogs were very high drive <laughs> <laughs> so they all went to amazing homes so it's it's all worked out really well mm-hmm. yeah i was going to ask uh, earlier on being a Frenchie and being that sort of like brachial sort of like structure and that high drive, 
and being mm. sort of where you are, which uh, if people don't know, it does get quite warm during the summer. Yeah. Any sort of issues that sort of like you could see when she was getting into that sort of like state? Look, we're really aware of the challenges and the risks of rocky breeds. So I guess we're a bit more um, on top of it. So, yeah, if with any of our three Frenchies, you know, we know when to pull them back if it's a hot day, um, if they're outside, um, because it doesn't take much. Like you don't need a high drive Frenchie to overheat <laughs> really, like, really quickly. Um, so we manage that exceptionally well. But, you know, we're talking about the structure of French Bulldogs in particular. I mean, they're notorious for having, um, you know, not so great spinal structure. And so something I did want to share with, with you today. So with Ladybug, one of the, I mean, we've had a lot of challenges. She's had a lot of, she's had the two bowel obstruction surgeries. She's had her C-section, but two years ago, um, we woke up one morning and she couldn't walk. She was just completely paralyzed in her back legs. And even though as Frenchie owners, we've been really conscious of their breathing over the years, we've never really paid attention to them the way they jump up and down off furniture, off the beds, you know, just the way they launch off things. So we always sort of let that go. So I know never to do that again. So we we don't know exactly what happened to Ladybug to trigger the paralysis. So both of her rear legs were completely paralysed. But we can only assume that during the night she had jumped off, because our bed's quite high, that she jumped off and potentially, you know, that was just a bad angle and something like she actually hemorrhaged uh, a disc in her spine. <clears throat> so that was, like, I, I literally can't tell you, the listeners, how horrible it is to wake up because she was distraught. Like, she couldn't move her back leg, so she couldn't move, and she was, like, in a state of panic and not, you know, that not understanding what's happening. Like, I can't move, but I, I don't know why. And her little bug eyes were just you know, popping out of her head with fear pretty much. So I don't know what day of the week it was. I think it was Wednesday. <laughs> but, but I rushed her. I think I rang my vet at like 6 a.m. in the morning and they said go straight to the emergency hospital. And so I did that. And, you know, luckily we had pet insurance for her because they said, well, she's going to need an MRI and we're like, well, how much is that going to cost? They're like, oh, probably about $4,000. Mm. Um, and they're like, based on the results, we'll probably need to do surgery. And I'm like, oh, how much is that going to cost? And then you're like, another $10,000. Um, so it was it was hard because, you know, the surgeons are saying you can potentially not do the surgery and see what happens or you can do the surgery and she might have a 50-50 chance that she can walk again. But we won't know for sure. So Glenn and I made the decision to get the spinal surgery done and then she ended up being in the hospital for two weeks and at the end of the two weeks she still had no uh, what they call deep pain perception in either rear leg which pretty much says that the nerves weren't talking to her back end mm. um, so she still couldn't walk so the surgeons were saying look she'll probably never walk again she's also um You'll also need to, like, because of the the nerves were so damaged, she couldn't um, urinate by herself. So the the surgeons were saying, you're going to have to learn how to manually express 
her bladder. And you probably need to do that for the rest of her life. And she may have some fecal incontinence. So they basically said to us, given all of that, it's it's probably too much for you as owners to take on that burden and that level of care, you know, given that she'll probably never walk again. So they were strongly recommending that we put her down. And that's hard to hear because... Uh, very. I, I can't imagine. can't imagine. And, well, I guess... The challenge is, and this I don't know how this is going to sound to the listeners, but, you know, every dog is different. And we've had dogs in our life that, you know, they exist, they're great dogs, you love them, but they don't have that, <clears throat> you know, that drive and that zest and that zeal for life. Um, so Ladybug had all of that. Like for everything she'd gone through with all her other surgeries, like she – Always recovered, like she, just just a scratch. I'll get over it. <laughs> it's like, well, thing, like <laughs> Ladybug is so into life. Like I, I just can't express how much she loves life, and she is so exuberant. And it's the sort of dog where she's given us so much, and we can see that she fights so hard that everything she goes through, she fights so hard to get through it. Like you can't give up on a dog like that. So. Mm. You know, we we knew the challenges that we were going to face, um, but we also knew that she we owed her like everything that we could give her. Like she deserved that opportunity based on just who she is and her personality. It's it's hard to explain. So we we accepted the challenge. We said, okay, well, let us bring her home. Let us see how she goes, and if we change our mind you know, we'll change our mind, but we need to at least try. So it came down to, you know, we, we have to try. We can't give up on it. So, wow, that was a steep learning curve. Having Learning how to express bladders. Um, poor Ladybug had to put up with Glenn and I fumbling around learning how to do that. The poor sweetheart. Um, we went, our lives for the, the three months after her spinal surgery, our lives literally were revolved around bug 100%. She, we were doing, um, and I have to say it, it brought Glenn and I together in a way that not, you know, it sounds odd to say in a way that we'd never been brought together before, but having to face this challenge together and having to work together literally around the clock to care for her and, um, to make sure that, you know, she was, her physiotherapy exercises were getting done. She was having, um, you know, red laser appointments, acupuncture appointments, chiropractic appointments, underwater treadmill appointments. We needed, you know, throughout the day, for, you know, in five-minute interval, like lots, we needed to be doing all of these, like, exercises with her rear legs to sort of give her the best chance of walking again. And the amazing thing is after about one to two months, she started to be able to urinate herself again, which was awesome. So the vet said that she would never be able to do that and she's, now wean very well without us having to intervene, which um, is great. But then after about three or four months, she started to be able to walk again. So it's, you know, it's been a challenge and she's still a high-maintenance dog. Like any dog with a spinal injury is going to be high-maintenance than a dog without one. But she's literally, I wish you could show your listeners um, video because the before and after is just 
crazy. Like I, I almost want to go back to this, the animal referral hospital with her just to say, hey, look, this is my dog now. She's literally running around like a lunatic um, on all four legs mm. and you told us to give up on her. So it's, yeah, it's it's been a long two years, but we're sort of at a maintenance phase now where, you know, she's what she is. But her quality of life is um, phenomenal. And if that ever changes, like, you know, we'll make a decision mm-hmm. then. But, no, she is she's back to her crazy bug self. Is yeah. amazing dedication from, from yourself and Glenn going through that. And, and it just shows what what a, a true relationship between you and you and bug and acknowledging how much she has given mm. and then you you probably the pair of you don't think oh look we didn't actually do that much you know we, we would have done it for whatever but mm. for, for the average and i'll say loosely average dog owner i don't know if they would go that far i'd like to think that the people would mm. but and they should because the dogs they're not just they're not just an animal. They're, they're our family. Well, they are. And to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Glenn feels the same way, but there are times because it was very emotionally draining, you know, it was hard. As, even though it brought Glenn and I together in a, you know, different way, it also, you know, we would be tired and irritable and cranky because, you know, just the stress and the emotion and the mm-hmm. sleeplessness. So, you know, there were times where we were more combative because of it um but you just I think you so there were times where you would think oh it would have been easier to give up like that would have been the easy path to take but the reward um for all of the effort and the stress and the pain and yeah. it's well worked. I just have to see, uh, I just have to see a face um you know every day and it's yeah it's a no-brainer when she you mentioned when, when she first started to be able to have uh, control of some of her own bowel movements. Did yeah. you sort of then dare to dream that, hang on, you know, this is not going to be how everyone said it was going to be. She is actually, this is a change and, and do we dare think that something else can happen? It was, we didn't want to believe what we were seeing at first because everything happened very slowly. Like, you know, we're talking minute you know, there might have been the first couple of months where you could literally pinch her back leg as hard as you wanted to and there'd be nothing, like there'd be no reaction from her whatsoever. But then there were times where, you know, Glenn might pinch her toes and her leg would twitch and we'd be like, oh, that's new. Mm. Um, And then we'd get excited like, oh, you know, something's happening and then that literally that sort of level of tiny changes in her body um, movements and twitching and responsiveness to touch. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Um, but we, we never, we never got to let ourselves get too excited because her prognosis was pretty grim. And I was even, you know, I joined Facebook groups for dogs in wheelchairs. I was researching, Oh, what if we need to get her a wheelchair? Um, things like that. But luckily, we've never. I mean, she started walking again. She looks drunk. Like she looks like she's drunk when she's walking. But that's hey, I'll take a drunk dog um, because she can still run. Like she can move pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. 
but we just have to be careful because, you know, she had, because she has had that injury, um, she's more susceptible to, you know, doing it again or doing something similar. Yep. So she's quite contained, you know, in her part of the house. But what it has made me really aware of is with our other two Frenchies, Opie and Pixel, we now have ramps around the house. So we've mm-hmm. got like a ramp up the couch. So we don't let them, you know, jump off high furniture and things anymore because, yeah, we definitely don't want to repeat of that. Uh, absolutely. So <clears throat> going back again a little bit before some of those sort of episodes um, and giving her some of the like behavioural outlets, you were, I know Glenn was doing some different training with her. Do you want to? Uh, Glenn's, yeah. Glenn's always, he's always doing something with the dogs training wise and half the time I'm sort of out of the loop for what's, <laughs> no. what's going on. Um, the funniest thing is when, when the NDTF students are here, because they're here for a week and we use Zee Peak as a training treat um, for our dogs and, and I wouldn't realise that he'd be trained like using bug as a training like demo dogs, so shaping and things like that with the students. And I'd just be feeding her her normal meals every day. <laughs> and then by the end of the week, I'd be like, gee, bug, why are you so fat? <laughs> and then I'd, oh, that's because Glenn's been training you and I wasn't aware of it. So um, the good thing about Frenchies is it's really easy and quick to know when they're gaining weight or losing weight. But mm-hmm. that always made me laugh. It gets to the end of the week. I'm like, oh, have you been using bug with the students? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, you need to tell me so I can cut back her food. So yeah. was she doing any particular or uh, types of, of training or just like generalised things? Um, she's very she's very smart and because she's so food motivated, she's um, very easy to train. She'll do anything for food, um, even if it's not high-value food, she'll still do anything. No, but Glenn, um, usually more complex skills with the Frenchies because, I don't know, it's just more exciting than sit and drop and those sort of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, she can, um, you know, Glenn trained her to balance on a, a ball. So, you know, she could climb up onto a ball, mm-hmm. like a medicine ball. Yeah, that's fairly and complex. <laughs> it is for a French bulldog. Because yeah. um, yeah. their centre of gravity is quite different and they're quite, you know, heavy and chunky. So, but just, you know going to a marker, being able to turn on a, turn off and on a light, you know, one of those touch lights sort of uh, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, that's probably a question. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what other complex skills. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. My role is to love them. I just, I just love them and he trains them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What about maintenance and things like bathing, nails, any sort of like dramas with those duties? The other great thing about where I live at a boarding kennel is 10 metres from my house, there's a grooming salon um, (laughs) attached to to the kennel business. So they're their own business, but there's groomers and I'm, I'm terrible. I've always been terrible at cutting dog nails, particularly black nails. So I literally pick her up, take her to the groomers, Five minutes later, they've done all the nails. So I'm, yeah, that's that's that side of it done. Look, Ladybug 
all of our dogs are pretty low maintenance. Well, the Frenchies are. Um, but for all of her health challenges, Ladybug is um, is pretty low maintenance. So I guess with the – she still has partial urinary and faecal incontinence, but not to the point where you'd need to, say, put a nappy on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always something I wanted to avoid because as soon as you put a nappy on a female dog, you're going to be dealing with recurrent urinary tract infections just, you know, over and over, which means just antibiotics over and over, which is sort of a vicious cycle in that sense. So she's never needed that. So, But when she gets excited or if she runs too quickly, she does leak. So you do see. Yeah, that's all right. So we have, um, we've got carpet, which is great for a spinal injury dog, but not so great when they leak. Mm-hmm. We have a carpet cleaner, like our own carpet cleaner, and we've got lots of bottles of enzyme spray at different parts of the house. So it doesn't matter what end of the house you're at, you know, we've got a bottle of spray ready to go. But it, it really isn't problematic. Like it's like, oh, bug, you know, yep. there you go again. Yeah. But it, it's not a problem. And with a... <laughs> with her poos. Um, yes, she can't control when they come out. But again, and this might be too much information, with a French bulldog, it's really easy to see when they need to poop because you can see their rear end really <laughs> easily. So, you know, when we see she needs to go, we just take her outside and, you know, occasionally she'll go inside. But again, I'm really, as a naturopath and nutritionist for people and dogs, um, I'm really big on gut health and, you know, bowel health. So Mm -hmm. she's on supplements to make sure that her poos are the best poos that they can be. So in two years of two years since her spinal injury, she has, she hasn't had any loose stools. So no diarrhea at all. And I was just saying to Glenn the other day, like she hasn't even, and again, this is something that dog owners would understand. Like she hasn't even had sticky poo. So when you've got carpet, even sticky poos, a, ch- a challenge so I'm like her poos are awesome and honestly I think that's because I do so much she's on a great diet she's on a raw food diet mm-hmm. um I was gonna, and she gonna gets, ask that <laughs> ah, okay well we can go there now so um I'm I mean I'm a huge proponent of a raw food diet for dogs but it you know it needs to be done properly and unfortunately in clinic I see a lot of people feeding their dogs homemade diets that um, aren't quite hitting the mark, you know, nutritionally for what their dogs need. But what I, and because I'm so busy, so I don't know if I can mention <laughs> what I do. Oh, can, can I give a, a shout out? So I've, I have a clinical practice in Dural where I do see human clients and dog clients um, for health and nutrition, but I've just launched uh, my own supplement range called Canine Suticals. And so that's a supplement range just for dogs. And the reason I developed it is because as a human practitioner, I am so used to having, you know, the highest quality supplements available to prescribe. And then when Ladybug had a spinal injury, um, you know, I went looking for dog supplements to sort of help support her body to heal and repair. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like there's really not much out there. And what, what is out there, I just don't trust the quality of. Mm. So I ended up using, you know, a lot of human supplements as part of her recovery process. Like she was on a lot of stuff, but it, obviously it's paid off. <laughs> and but I thought, well, you know, there's 
you know, that really bothered me um, because I'm lucky. I'm in a position that as a practitioner, I know what human supplements I can use. I know what supplements are safe to use for dogs, but the average pet owner, they don't. So they need to rely on animal supplements, like animal branded supplements for their pets. There's so I created I was going to say a lot of the stuff that's even out on the market, you could say is um, comes from uncontrolled and, and maybe not the best regulated origins. Well, that's the thing. The animal uh, food and supplement industry is extremely poorly regulated. Like, you know, at least with the human supplements, we've got the TGA and, you know, they're quite stringent. I mean, there is the APVMA with the animal side of things, but um, the level of accountability just isn't the same as the human world. So I, so from that, so I guess that this is one one thing that did come out of Ladybug's accident. So even though she has challenged us constantly in her short five years, um, it's actually her accident that triggered me and was like the motivating force for me to develop my own supplement range uh, for dogs, so canonceuticals, and all the ingredients are, <clears throat> excuse me, all the ingredients are human grade. And, you know, there's full transparency about what's in there. So a lot of supplements, you know, they don't have to tell you what's in there, um, the animal side of things. But I think it's important. Like, I guess at the end of the day, I, I want my dogs to have the same quality that I would want for myself. So I don't think, you know, I'm not someone who goes, oh, well, it's just a dog, doesn't matter. Let's give them the whatever poor quality yep. stuff's out there. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so when it comes to their diet, so I guess what I was getting at before, I am super busy. So I don't have time at the moment to be preparing homemade diets, like raw food diets for five dogs and a cat. So I rely 100% on big dog pet foods. So for people in Australia, you know, you might be familiar with big dog pet foods. They do raw food patties. So I love them. They are a lifesaver for me. I mean, there's lots of other really great um, raw food brands out there they just tend to be my go-to um so yeah ladybug all of our dogs are on big dog we also use a lot of zee peak particularly for training and um just because of the quality you know nothing nasty nothing artificial um, yeah so i think that's I think that's key. that transition wasn't all that long ago was it or because um, initially when Ladybug was young, she mm. wasn't on predominantly raw, was she? No, and it's so fascinating. And I'm sorry if you can hear the rain on the show. <laughs> it's, it's raining quite hard at my end and um, we've got a tip roof. Yeah, <laughs> right. apologize. Um, well, that's the thing. It's it, it doesn't make sense to me, but it was the, the way it worked out. But I've been a human naturopath and a nutritionist for quite a number of years now. And it never occurred to me to apply the same principles of health and nutrition to our pets. Like, I just don't know why. It just, I was raised, you know, I've had dogs my whole life and I was raised to just feed kibble. Like, so that's really all I knew and it was just my go-to and I didn't think twice about it ever. I just did it. Uh, and now looking back at some of the health issues that some of our dogs have suffered over the years, you know, cancers and things like that. Part of me is like, oh, you know, was that a part of that? But as we say, you know, you don't know what you know until you know it. So yep. 
But yeah, ladybug. I had started to become more interested in natural health for animals just before ladybug's accident. Um, but she really was the catalyst to jump in, you know, both feet and just take it really seriously. And I think I honestly, and you know, you can never know for sure, but I honestly don't believe she would have recovered to the extent that she has if she hadn't been on a raw food diet um, and if she hadn't been given sort of key supplements to go with that because people may not realise that kibble is extremely pro-inflammatory in the body. So if you've got a dog with extensive like nerve damage and spinal damage, you know, the last thing you want is to be throwing more fuel on the fire mm-hmm. and sort of absolutely worsening So I think, yeah, that's been a big part of her recovery. Mm. Oh, that's a that's a, a big big thing, and and like I, I often hear sometimes with people they they get a dog, meet a dog, and then there's a life change or the the a fork in the road, or, or they sort of like veer off into all sorts of interesting little areas where mm. if you were to ask them before they met their dog and said, hey, in a couple of years you'll be doing this, they look at you and go, what, you're an idiot. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I wouldn't even dream of that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow. <laughs> well, that's it. Before Ladybug, I feel like every other dog I've owned has been easy. Um, you know, there's always challenges and things always happen. But seriously, every year of Ladybug's life has been a major trauma or a major drama. Um, but I've learned... Yeah, I've learned so much and I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be where I am professionally in terms of my knowledge um, or definitely my supplement range. Like none of that would have happened if it if it wasn't for Ladybug. She's just, yeah, she's really brought something special into Glenn and my lives, that's for sure. Well, let's hope the, that those the, the, the sort of medical dramas, at least now she's gotten them all out of her system <laughs> and the next many, many years are going to be like nice and easy-ish. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, part of – and it sounds, it's sad, but because of her injury, I think her life expectancy will be shorter. But um, – but that just means, like, thinking that way just means that every day that we have her and that we're with her, we make sure that her day is the best day ever. So um, she brings so much joy to our life and, you know, we give it back to her and make sure, again, it's all, for us it's quality of life. And um, we have no doubt that she has the best quality of life um, ever for a dog. <laughs> she, she is completely spoiled. And the thing is, um, for a spinal, for a spinal injury dog, she is still she can still destroy a dog beating two minutes flat. Like she, <laughs> I'd love to have a camera in in like the study where she resides um, to see how she goes about that because you know she's pretty unco, but she can still rip apart and completely shred dog beating within minutes. But the other thing is because of her spinal injury. We're really soft on her, so she gets away with everything <laughs> and we just go, oh, bug, you shouldn't have done that. But the other dogs, you know, they're going to get punished if they do something, but we, she gets away with everything because of her. We feel bad for her. 
having just said that, do you think she plays on that a little bit more now than what she did before? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) She knows exactly how to play us and she's got us both figured out. And, you know, we've created a monster because we do, you know, because we love her so much and we give in to her, you know, every time, whenever she demands something. Um, Yeah. So the thing about being a dog trainer or having, you know, training knowledge is you you sort of understand the consequences of your actions. (laughs) So... I completely accept the consequences of spoiling her and giving in to her. Yeah. You mentioned it was uh, raining heavily at the end. How yep. was Bug with water? She's not too phased by it. A lot of, I mean, of the three Frenchies, you know, none of them like to go out in the rain. I mean, they're, they're inside dogs 99% of the time. They only go out to toilet or, you know, play or play on the oval or something like that. But, um, yeah, they, they weren't – toileting time was challenging. So we've had a lot of rain over the last couple of weeks. And when I wake up in the morning and I hear that it's bucketing down with rain, I just cringe on the inside because I'm like none of them are going to want to go outside and toilet. And that just takes up a lot of time my morning trying to get them <laughs> to, to do what they need to do. And then I end up standing out in the middle of the yard in the pouring rain to try and encourage them to go out and do their business. What about swimming? Because I know you mentioned she was doing some stuff on the hydro, but is she doing any mm-hmm. like swimming in like warm water stuff and things like that? Or She's not. She probably should be. Um, again, because it's been such an ordeal for Glenn and I to sort of get her to where she is now. Once she sort of hit us a phase of okay, she's great. She's probably not going to improve anymore. I guess both of us sort of let out a deep breath and you know thought okay, now we can sort of pull back a bit and get our lives back. So a lot of those treatments that I was religious about for the first twelve to eighteen months. And COVID didn't help because everything shut down Mm. COVID. Uh, I must say I haven't, now that things are opening up again, I haven't sort of thought about uh, taking her back to a lot of those treatments, but she absolutely would benefit. We don't have, uh, I was going to say, we don't really have anything local to us, like swimming pools. Um, There really is just the underwater treadmill option uh, closest to us. But she loved that. Like in terms of being in the water, she, yeah, she put a little swim jacket on and um, away she went. But I think, yeah, if we had access to a, a bigger pool, that would be great for her. Did she get in the water much when she was younger? No, none of the dogs have really swam because, again, we don't have we don't have much water around us. And I'm I don't know because I'm always so busy. I don't drive. Like I wouldn't drive to a beach with them or I wouldn't drive to a lake or mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. Um, and part of me is like, well, Frenchies, they'll just sink to the bottom um, anyway. <laughs> the shepherds, you know, they'd probably enjoy swimming, but no, so I don't do much. I don't do much swimming. But you've put it back in my head to to look into it again for her. If you guys ever went on, say, like a, say a, a short trip away and them being Frenchies as is compared to a bigger dog, did they ever get to come along to places where the other dogs didn't? Generally, no. 
Um, except now with Ladybug, <laughs> because we're really protective of her, um, and the the few times again, this all happened just when COVID started. So we haven't. It's sort of been good timing in that sense. Like literally, she had a spinal surgery April. 2020 so COVID was just breaking so Glenn and I literally haven't really been anywhere for the last two years which has worked out really well with having Ladybug and everything with her but we did I did give a seminar in Canberra at some point last year I kind of remember when it was when there was a gap in the COVID Mm -hmm. restrictions and we were going to leave her at the kennels because we trust the staff at the kennels but then last minute, both of us looked at each other and we're like, oh, we, we just can't. We can't leave it. We, she, has to come, she has to come to Canberra with us. So all the other dogs got popped in the kennels and Ladybug had a road trip to Canberra. Yeah, how did that go for her? She was actually really stressed. So um, even though she's a good dog and, you know, she travels well, I don't know what it was about that weekend, but she didn't... Um, yeah, she didn't enjoy it. Mm. Um, yeah, next time I'll be more prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's her favourite spot in the house? Before her spinal injury, she used to hang out with me a lot um, and, you know, be on my lap if I was watching TV at night, things like that. But now that she's sort of separated from the other dog, she her she has sort of one end of the house and the other dogs have the other end of the house. But her end of the house happens to be our study and that's where Glenn is uh, the majority of the time. That's his home office. Mm-hmm. So she loves, she loves to be up there with Glenn. I must say they're closer than they've ever been because she's with him pretty much all day, every day, which is great. So inside the house... If she could be on the bed, she would, but obviously we're never going to trust her to be on a bed again. Um, but she just loves she just loves to be with you. So it doesn't matter where you are, like where in the house, as long as yep. she's with one of us, mm-hmm. she loves that. And in terms of outside the house, she absolutely loves the oval at Dural on the property. She loves to run around uh, on the oval. So, yeah. Does she... Apart from being in the like the, the oval in the immediate surrounds, do you mm. think it's got a, a favourite area that you've gone to? Oh, I don't think so. Um, and again, because we haven't been anywhere for a couple of years mm. now, like literally, and because of her <laughs> spinal. Oh, actually, I tell a lie. You know what? She. It's really odd. For the first, I don't know, twelve months of post spinal injury. We had to go, I was going every week for a few months to uh, Neil Barnsley, who's a acupuncturist and chiropractor for animals, just sort of in New South Wales, south of Sydney. And she loved, like she absolutely, she knew the days that we were going to Neil's. And I can only think that it must have brought her some relief or just whatever the sensation was of the treatment um, because she would lie calmly on the table, like, you know, she'd have needles stuck in it, but she would just sort of lie there and sort of enjoy it. But she loves 
she loved to get in the car. She would get so excited. So I guess the car's a, a favourite spot of hers as well. She loves to to hang out in the car and go for drives. Um, but I've never seen her so excited about travelling as when we were going to her acupuncture hmm. appointment. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so now I'm going to have to add that to the list as well. So we've got swimming to go back to, <laughs> acupuncture to go back to. Um, Has any of her sort of like habit changed since the injury and and did she have any sort of like interesting or weird habits that either before or after uh, I mean other than just eating everything <laughs> she's I don't think initially after her accident yes you know she was a little bit different because I still think she didn't understand what was happening to her body um, you know, why she couldn't walk, things like that. But honestly, now she really is back. Like, she, I don't think she realises how injured she is. Like, she, I don't think she's aware of her body. Like, she just knows that um, when she wants something, uh, she she just goes for it. So she's she, she still is that high-drive manic dog that will put herself in danger potentially. <laughs> because of her drive um, and not, you know, just not be aware of the consequences until it's too late. You know how dogs, they, in that moment of adrenaline and cortisol, mm-hmm. they just, they're oblivious, everything. And that's, she's back to being that, um, which is why, you know, she still destroys things. We're still, we can't have shoes on the ground. We can't have beds unattended, all of that sort of stuff. So I think she's sort of come full circle. She was always manic then, you know, she gets a few hiccups whenever she goes through surgery or, you know, she had a spinal accident, but now she's pretty much back to the same old manic bug that she started off as. Uh, and I don't think it changed. I think, yeah, she'll probably, her drive and her energy will probably be her undoing in the end is how I'm guessing it's going to go because it's so hard to keep her calm. Like even though she's just a little 13 kilo dog, she's just, She's hyper. Yeah, she just loves to run around. She loves to play. She loves, you know, like I said, bite work and tug toys and all of that stuff. She just loves life and it's got a, a an abundance of life in her. She's got, what she's got to make up for lost time now too. Yeah, I, like I, I literally can't express how much life um, she has in her. Like our other French bulldog, Opie, he's, we call him our potato. He sort of just sits there and life passes him by, but Bug is, you know, she embraces life to the fullest. Did the uh, much, did, sorry, did you notice much of the, a change with the other dogs in when Bug was having her recovery and now that she's sort of like has had that recovery? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I'm actually... I think they're more, they were definitely more curious, excuse me, about her and what might, you know, there was, I guess there was a shift in how they behaved around it, but because they were always separated from her, you know, it was really just through baby gates Mm -hmm. that they would, um, I guess we never really saw how they might actually interact with each other in this sort of new situation, you know, following her accident, but and they're still separate. We still keep them separate. One 
because Ladybug will probably attack Opie, but two, we can't risk them playing too rough and her hurting herself again. So unfortunately, yeah, she has to be isolated for her own benefit now. But, yeah, it's an interesting question. But, no, I don't – I think they would probably still – if we let them all in together, I think they would still want to rough and tumble with her. Like I don't think they would – not anymore. I don't think they would sense that there was something necessarily wrong with her mm-hmm. now. Um, but yeah, he's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Seb, anything else coming to mind that would you'd like to sort of share between you know something that's has sort of happened between the two of you or a emotional high or low that I mean, it's completely hard to beat what we haven't already talked about, but. That's the thing, like Ladybug is a dog that she does take you to the extremes. Um, You know, we've felt the most love and joy possible with her. Like she makes Glenn and I so happy. We laugh a lot because of her. But at the same time, we've been through so much heartache and pain because of her. But it all just, I don't know, it all just feeds into you know, to why we have dogs and why we love them so much and life's an emotional roller coaster in oh. our dogs. <laughs> I was just about to say that, so same words, <laughs> that you guys have been on that ride. <laughs> but the thing is, before COVID, when we actually would go away on holidays for a couple of weeks, you know, during the year, um, you know, the first few days, it's always like, oh, it's so nice not to have to get up and toilet dogs at like five o'clock in the morning or feed dogs or, you know, walk dogs or train dogs. And and then you get to like day five or six and Glenn and I are like, oh, Where the dogs? you know, <laughs> we miss the dogs. It yeah, feels yeah. so weird not to have them around. And I just could never imagine, like hopefully our li- like our life and, you know, our living situations never changed to the point where we can't have animals because I just couldn't imagine how empty life would feel not having um, pets. I mean, and not having multiple pets, like even one dog or one cat would just be like, it's just not enough. Um, (laughs) It's, and I know people who aren't into animals probably aren't listening to the show anyway, but um, it might be hard to understand, but they really do you know, they really do bring so much into our lives and they really do, you know, I don't know, not feel an emotional need, but they, well, they sort of, I don't yeah, know. I would say they, they do. It's just, um, it's a, it's a different sort of thing. It's really hard to quantify, but they, they certainly give you something that, that another human can't. Yeah. And to me it is, I mean, there's no, you know, dogs that, their love is unconditional. Um, there's no judgments there. And I think that's, you know, why I'm so passionate about doing the best I can for them because you know they're always going to be there, you know, for you. So I think we owe it to our dogs to always um, have their best interests at heart. Morel, it has been an absolute pleasure and such a fascinating talk. And I thought we we're both actually going to, because I knew Ladybugs sort of like a bit of her mm. story before. I thought we were probably going to go get a, a bit emotional. Are we 
I think you did really well, but you're probably used to talking about it. <laughs> I was oh, sort of like, oh, no, I hope you don't because if you do, I probably won't be far behind you. <laughs> but, but um, Yeah, I've shed a lot of tears over Ladybug um, and I'm now, I mean, not always. Sometimes, you know, I'll talk about her and get all emotional, but, um, yeah, I'm glad I held it together today too. <laughs> so, so am I. <laughs> Ladybug is one incredible canine um mm. i wish all of you all all the very best i know it's like i said karma balance things will be all right for a while now i reckon uh look i'm just glad she's 13 kilos and not 30 kilos because um to manage that driving energy mm. um <laughs> large breed dog is just a whole nother level of difficulty so yeah Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, look, now before you go, I've got to mention Canine Pseudicals again. Do you want to give out or any, all of any sort of like links or where do people have a look at if they want to see more of Ladybug and especially more of the stuff that you do? Well, so I have lots of sites that link back to me. So my clinical practice is Natural Health and Nutrition, and the website for that is naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. And you can uh, email me through the website or norelle at naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. I also have my own podcast show called Natural Health for People and Pets. So people can subscribe and listen to that. And um, I have the Canine Suticals, uh website is, so it's canine as in dog, C-A-N-I-N-E, and Suticals, C-E-U-T-I-C-A-L-S.com.au. So canine Suticals, all one word, .com.au. So you can check out the range. Uh, you can email me at info at canineceuticals.com.au. So, yeah, lots of, lots of options, but all good. Thank you very much again. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Thank you to our new listeners in Colville in the UK and Nutley in the US. And I'm hoping that someone told someone about this podcast. And be honest, have you? I would really appreciate if you would actually tell someone how awesome the dogs on this podcast are and for people to have a listen to it. Uh, if you also feel inclined to do so, like, share and subscribe with all the usual stuff on whatever platform you are listening to this on. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family. 